Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that you are all well. I hope that you are feeling blessed and that there is a little bit of beauty in your life that you can feel and you can touch, you can hear and that you can speak. And sometimes we forget don't we? We have such forgetful memories sometimes of all the beauty that surrounds us in our life. But most importantly is the beauty that emanates from our soul and our heart. And today I spent some time because I live in the countryside, in the countryside, and I was preparing for the podcast this evening because we're here in the United Kingdom and it's evening time and I had this beautiful beautiful guest this evening and I wanted really to be in that energy of my guest because every single person that we meet in this life we share something a part of our heart and spirit and a part of our destiny because we have all been brought together for a big reason, a huge reason, and it is all for the greater good and for the greater love. So with that in mind, I have the absolute honour and delight this evening to welcome the wonderful Elizabeth DeVries. Elizabeth is an artist, astrologer and writer. As a child, Elizabeth spent countless hours in nature her deep love of animals, especially horses, and the time that she spent alone, wandering in forests or lakes, brought forth deep intuitive gifts as an animal communicator and healer. From early childhood, Elizabeth had visionary experiences that brought her into a mystical world. In her early 20s, she packed her bags and moved to the west coast of British Columbia, where she backpacked and rode through the glorious mountain terrain. How beautiful. Her passion for horses deepened and her skills have helped many horses become champions. Her work as a renowned horse whisperer and her affinity for nature deepened and expanded. As a healer, she became a dual master in the practices of Reiki. And in addition, she has served as a spiritual counselor, 
a spiritual astrologer, medium, and energetic healer to clients worldwide. She has an absolutely phenomenal life story, I have to say, and we are honored to share that with her tonight. Welcome, dear Elizabeth. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. It's hard to believe you're across that pond, but I feel, I feel joyful to be here. And I had such a good feeling when you invited me. Um, as you said, everything's got a reason. Today we are celebrating the solar eclipse, which is uh, very powerful. It's a full solar eclipse. So I chose this day to meet up with you when we were talking about day because yes. it's filled with light today. <laughs> Yes, I have to say to everybody listening that um, Elizabeth is a phenomenal healer and she's a phenomenal lady, I have to say. When you hear her story, you will know why. And it was important to her that we got the dates exactly right to when we were going to record the podcast, which I absolutely understand. And that also sort of leads me on to say that everything has its divine timing especially our meeting tonight. And I would like to know more about this um, eclipse, Elizabeth, later on. But firstly, you know, tell us a little bit. Let's start off by you sharing with us a little bit about your life, because you've had a really, truly remarkable life. Where did this whole journey of yours begin? I would say my journey began in Toronto, Canada, around, well, obviously at birth, but then... Well, yes. If I look further, um, at around age four, my mother left, and I was, we were raised by my father, and so I spent a lot of time being the youngest child, just roaming and running free, the youngest always getting the advantage of more... um, opportunity to explore and not so much discipline. So I I spent a lot of time that way. And I had, it was rather traumatic. Um, I'd say I am a Scorpio, quadruple Scorpio, which uh, for astrologers, it's pretty darn intense. I'm born four days before our present president. So I understand him pretty darn well. But the path of Scorpio is a lot led by the losing of others, um, because I think one of my major soul healings in this life, and perhaps for many of us, is to heal the abandonment issue, you know, the fear of being left alone. And so I think I wanted to come in and confront that sense of loss at a very young age. And I was fortunate that I was a visionary child. So when I walked in the nature, I would have spirits join me and console me and my dogs were around me and I would build altars to God, even though no one had really spoken to me about the different saints or masters. And I would have visions of them and they would put their arms around me and say, you're never alone. So that was a really great opening. And I think a lot of children do have these visions, but um, because I was kind of a free spirit, I was more able to um, explore them than maybe some other children that had a more regimented life. 
Yes. And, um, and went on from there, and I'd say that that Scorpio feeling of loss, I went through death a lot, a lot, a lot in this life, and that actually, if you just to give the main premise of my life, brought forth a, uh, a deep understanding of the other realms. It's true, because children do have an affinity with the other worlds and the other realms. And it's something I think that each one of us has in childhood. And somehow it becomes watered down or completely forgotten. I don't think it's lost, but I think it's forgotten. And whatever life circumstances that surround each one of us is different, but it is part of a real reality for all of us. And Everybody likes fairy tales and stories of different realms and different beings. You know, as children, we can actually feel connected to them. But not everybody is able to keep that relationship into adulthood. But that's something that you have been able to do. It is. I do feel all of us, including myself, we have a period where I would say we become more focused on the practical worlds and raising our children or you know, making our way in our work. Luckily, um, I made a decision at a young age that I would never work for somebody else and I would always follow my heart. So I did go to university. My father had wanted me to take over his uh, financial business. But my soul adored horses, and I, and so I wanted to train horses and find horses that had been abused and help to bring them back, whether they were at the racetrack or um, show horses or just horses that had not been handled well. So that became a really mystical focus to penetrate the background of what they have gone through and to you know, pour, just to pour the love, which as you know, the love heals everything eventually. Um, it, it was just an exciting, um, thrilling experience for me. And it's something, and it's something that, that you are us still involved in. I, I was until about two or three years ago. Um, but I mean, I've always been involved with animals. I still go and um, give readings about horses or what was their prior history or dogs that people have adopted and they, they want to know why they have certain trauma or why they're reacting to life in a certain way. So animals, I would say, have been my angels and the ones that I have really opened my heart to the most and they have healed me the most of all. It, it's it's absolutely the way because I, I do feel that I always had a strong affinity to animals and somehow, although I love people, it is really animals, I think, that have taught me some of the greatest lessons in my life so far in that they have been the most compassionate and the most loving of beings. How do you live with this profound gift on a daily basis, because to be able to communicate within the other worlds and the other realms is something is not so easy, I don't think, to be able to carry such a responsibility as well as trying to sort of fit 
in somehow into this earth, earthly realm? That's a really beautiful question, one that I pondered a lot. Um, when I was 22, I met a really wild ex-fighter pilot and I eloped much to the dismay of my family. And, and I, I lived with somebody that was very combustible and at times, you know, he's no longer here, so I don't want to be denigrating his, but he was, it was a very, very rough, tough marriage. And so from there, I would take my children to the stable every day and teach them to ride. So I had to learn how to compassionately look after him, who was very crippled by this time. And at the same time, be able to shut off that I didn't carry the trauma as when you get on a horse, you know that the horse in one second has felt out exactly all of your um, issues. And if you're in an upset mood, you can't work with abused horses because they already have their issues and you've got to go into a zone with them to be able to heal them. So I learned how to be compassionate in the heart and open my heart and soul, not just to horses, but to life. But at the same time, not to carry with me um, the journey of sadness or depression or anger or fear that was existing around me. It was a very powerful training. For 21 years, I was married until my husband died in an accident. So in that period, I learned to be staying optimistic and compassionate, but not to be defeated by it, to, to realize, to stay with optimism. And I realized today I was writing an article about each of us has a little jewel in our fairy bag, is how I describe it. And so I was thinking about all the people I knew and what was their jewel. Because when we meet people and we help them discover their jewel, it's part of us too, because they're part of us. So we're adding these little jewels to our bag every day. But I realized my jewel was optimism, that somehow I've always been optimistic, always been happy. Even in the worst, most destitute moments, there's been a hope in me. And, and I don't know where it came from. I feel maybe some other lives, but it's really held me and helped me to help my children and to help others. In a way, it's like an eternal flame that sort of lingers through lifetimes. Yes, that, that's great. I like that. Yeah, that doesn't fade. And somehow inside of us, we know that whatever happens in our life, somehow that we have to keep this flame burning. So true. And uh, the hardest thing, I mean, I went through the death of three different mates very suddenly, just bang. And I went through the death of my parents very young. And then the hardest death, I had two stepchildren and three children that I had born, and two of those children died. So I went, I just kept oh. meeting death on the pathway. And the hardest death was of my beloved daughter who rode with me and healed with me and was just an extraordinarily magical being. But through that loss, I grew and 
I became a way better person through that loss, as hard as it was to lose the person that I was the closest to in the entire world for 46 years. It, it was a real journey with her and I did home hospice with her. And it was just, it was, it was this incredibly agonizing, ecstatic journey. I know you speak of it so bravely and so humbly. And I, I read something that you wrote about your experiences of your life. And I have to say, it, I, I weeped. I did. I truly did. Because the, the hugeness of your spirit, Elizabeth, to be able to carry such a grief and such a loss and yet to bear it with such humility is astounding. Words well, tell I, me, I, really. I feel we all, all of us, I don't want to put myself on any pedestal. I think we all have, and, and I'm sure you probably would agree, a wound when we come in of some sort. Mm. So what is the wound? My wound, I feel, I don't want to focus too much on my wounds because I like to focus on the beautiful part of people, but with myself, I would say it would be abandonment. So what did I do? I went through sudden death after sudden death after sudden death and then had to separate physically from my beloved child and the, my stepson. But at the same time, these were gifts of... Um, soul growth and I do feel that we have lives when we come in sometimes we come into what I would call more of a resting life where we don't have a hundred challenges in one year uh, and and yeah. some people come in with tremendously dramatic traumatic lives and I feel that we kind of pull our energy together over a few lives and then come in and say okay this one I'm really going to get to, and I'm really going to face some major stuff. And so we we very carefully choose where we're born, how you know what time and everything, because I do feel that's an energetic imprint or a time of birth. And then we go into that life knowing at some core level that it's not going to be an easy life. But we're not downhearted about it. It's more, okay, I came in to do this. And, I, and so with my daughter, at first, it was desperately lonely. I would be in a fetal position with my dogs all around me. And then I, but what healed me was people call me and they needed my help. And when I got up from my bed and say they were on my healing table, or they wanted a mediumship reading. Well, I had learned how to connect with her on the other rounds so I could help them and hear the people they had lost. Or if somebody was on the table, I looked down and said, that's my Gigi, that's my girl. And I'm going to pour all this love into this person on the table right now. And that love, because I think part of grief is not knowing what to do with all that love. It blocks us, it backs up in us. We love that person so much and it's natural to grieve deeply. It's human. It's, it's part of why we came here to feel that deeply. But then 
We must take that love and spread it around. We may never have that one person again that way, but we will love again even greater than we loved before. Love that ethereal mystery, Elizabeth. And I was actually contemplating about love before we, you know, came on the air. It was something that I wanted to talk about with you because I believe that in order, you know, for you to have gone through that and for all of us to experience grief at some point and many points in our life mm -hmm. and the sorrow, I somehow think that love is a many faceted sort of jewel, as you say, but also it's somehow a bridge to everything. It is the bridge to salvation, the bridge to rebirth, the bridge to everything that can save us. And then sometimes I think to myself, well, are we the bridge? Actually, is it us? Is it us? Because it is us that is love. So surely we, each one of us, is the bridge to one another. I so agree, and that is why oftentimes I see on Facebook or written in other places, I found my person, or I found my tribe, or found my group. And I say, but everyone, every blade of grass, every flower, every person, that person over there that you are judging, that is part of you. And that is part of your tribe. Yes, there may be people we don't wish to spend 24-7 with because yeah. of a very strong effort. But just to look at that person and find the love, it is an extraordinary thing. I remember with my husband, at the very end of his life, he was extremely alcoholic. He was in terrible physical pain. And... I was just thinking, where am I? You know, it's so hard. And I looked at him and he was yelling about something because he was in pain, not because he didn't love me, he did, but he was just yeah. an agonizing life. And I stood at the doorway and I looked at him and all of a sudden my heart broke open and I loved him more than I'd ever loved anything. I just loved him without any condition. and. I, and shortly after that, he died, and I realized he had come in, to, in a way, to teach me unconditional love. That I wasn't the same. I needed to learn that, and he was my greatest teacher. And so the people in our lives, sometimes that we consider the greatest antagonists to us are the ones that never get off us, are back. We need, if we could just sit quietly and have compassion, not that we don't set boundaries, but, uh, you know, but that we really consider that, that they might be saying something that we either need to not judge ourselves about anymore, or that we need to look at. And so all of life is contributing to all of life. Yes, indeed. It's, it's true. It's true. And you don't know when you meet somebody sometimes what is it that they're trying to teach us and sometimes you know I've spoken about this before and I I contemplate this a lot sometimes we never know 
Sometimes we don't know until further along the line. Sometimes it is not important in this earthly form. It is more on the spiritual realm that is mm -hmm. important to know. And to get to know more of that side of us, I think that is the most important thing is to be able to acknowledge the fact that we are spiritual beings in this earthly physical form. And this togetherness that you speak about, Elizabeth, in that we are all somehow connected. And I think it's when we forget that we are connected is when we truly, as people, as beings, as mankind, as whatever, truly suffer is that when we forget that we are so innately connected. Yes. So true. And, and, I, and I think if you carry that even a step further, that ignorance is the source of suffering. Because, sorry, that's one of my dogs. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> ignorance is the source of suffering if you think about it, because the ignorant part of us is not realizing that everything is energy and that all energy is emitting and absorbing um, endlessly, infinitely, right? Like, like the ocean, like the pebble in the ocean. So we're all affecting yeah. each other. And people think when Gandhi said, heal yourself and you heal the world, it sounds like a new age truism, but it is true. If we heal ourselves and we all know that, everything around us changes. Everybody around us changes. It's true, and we could just even take it from the most simplest thing of when we are in physical pain. And when we're in physical pain, we don't want to do anything. We don't want to feel um, anything for anybody. Um, we're totally focused on the wounded part of us. But when that pain is taken away from us and we go through a process of healing, then, you know, love shines its light, literally, and leads the way. It, it is the point of where that healing happens, is where this divinity enters us. I love that. That's just so beautiful. And I, I totally concur. It's just... Uh, and, and what I think is so incredible is that we are at each of us at a different vibration of our being. And throughout the mm -hmm. day, we fluctuate in vibration. Like sometimes in our day, we're stronger vibration than others where we're more retiring back with our vibration that's not so strong. So we have cycles even throughout the day, even throughout the hour, you know, and, and, and if we're really in tune with ourselves, we ebb and flow with the day, not according to um, a regime, but more according to the sensitivity of when it's good to ebb and flow. The same as in relationships, there are times to ebb back. And often it's a time when we most want to grab at something or um, desire it that we need to pull back and let it move in when it's ready. So it's a uh, vibration is sensitive. I think awareness really is that 
sensitive vibration. And then as we grow spiritually, every sense we have grows along with us. So our sense of smell becomes more refined, our sense of taste, our sense of touch. I know as a healer, my hands now, they're just, I used to look at my hands when I was a little girl, very large kind of strong hands like my dad. And, and I cleaned out a lot of horses hooves and washed a lot of diapers and done all those things that make your hands even more careworn. But now I remember I took a healing class and there was this little Japanese lady there who was a brilliant healer. And she said, look at these hands. These are the healer's hands. Look how much they will cover. And I'd never, I'd always hidden my hands before that. I thought they were kind of not attractive. And I was started crying. I felt so happy. So even the parts of us that we find loathsome or we judge or we're self-conscious about, they can become something very beautiful. Yes, absolutely. In that we don't realize sometimes this profound beauty that we are. And I don't mean when in a sort of arrogant way, Elizabeth, I mean that, and, or in a superficial way, you know, everything out there is perceived to be beautiful what isn't, in fact. It is a false sense of beauty, a false sense of um, a facade in a way. But yeah. what is really beautiful, things that, for example, you're talking about now, the beauty of your hands and how that has helped so many people and continues to help. And it's something maybe that we're asleep to, or are we afraid of that beauty? So true. I remember a man I was with for 10 years that had a very beautiful, kind soul. And one day he was out walking in downtown Vancouver and he came back, rushing back. He goes, come with me, dear. I want to show you the most beautiful woman I've ever seen and I, I was part of my Scorpio I was like oh okay <laughs> and the other part was like all right and so I went and here was this woman around 90 and she was feeding little squirrels and her face was translucent with such a beauty and I looked at him and I thought oh that's why I'm with him <laughs> because what he was seeing was so beyond anything whether she had the arthritis or whatever she had he just saw this radiance that she had achieved through having lived a life of constant growth and love what a way what a way to live a life through love and yes. this this acceptance of life in all its glory you know, I taught a class that was called The Essence of Beauty, and I had 15 women there from 17 to 68. Mm -hmm. And we discussed all various topics. One of, the to one of the things we did was the woman sat in the chair and just gazed into each person's eyes in the room without making a sound. And people wrote down what they saw as her specific essence in this life and it was so beautiful the it what they discovered and how 
so much was congruent with everybody else, you know, and, and the woman felt so beautiful. The women, by the end of this eight-week class, they truly felt beautiful in their bodies, no matter their age, their size, their whatever. But the most sensitive class I taught out of all those classes was on voice, because the voice expresses what? Our emotion, our fear, our, you know, it, it expresses yeah, yeah. so much. And when it's reflected back to us, we're shocked to hear our own voice. And oftentimes we still are, you know, even to this day, because we think it's different than it is. But it was a very <laughs> healing class. That was probably the strongest class, was the class on the voice. And how did that, firstly, let me say that I've never heard this. I know about people looking into people's eyes. I, I've seen that um, a few times and it intrigues me completely. And also, you know, the when people are told that they're beautiful, how their whole face changes. Yes. Um, that's also, but this about writing what you see in someone's eyes, my goodness, what a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. It actually brings joy to my heart because... It is the recognition of another soul. Exactly. It, you know, you're looking into the mirror of the soul and there's something in the face, like the face, when you're looking at the face before you write, it morphs into many things. It's mm. not just that woman. It could be a North American Indian you see or a pirate or... Or, and what I found interesting about the class is the women that came in that were the most strident and expressive underneath often were the most shy and vulnerable. And the ones that came in that were quieter, sometimes they were like, woof, a lot of fire came out. Mm -hmm. And so that was beautiful because you saw the, the, the being coming into balance with itself. And, and that gave a sense of confidence and and also appreciation of themselves that they hadn't really allowed certain parts out because they thought it might not be feminine or it might be this or that, whatever their judgment was. So that was very interesting too. That is very interesting. And as you were talking, Elizabeth, I was listening to my heart and my inspirations. And I was thinking to myself how when you're speaking such profound words, what was coming to me was that we are all longing to be recognized for who we truly are. And the world has become so superficial and mm -hmm. really so false. I wonder how much of that is because we don't appreciate each other, that then we feel we must hide ourselves so not to be ridiculed Yes. I think it's also, though, like St. John of the Cross, who was in an underground sort of prison cell for mm. a few years, um, is that he found the grace of his own radiance in that aloneness. And I think when we do, I think sometimes we go through a lot of struggles or, or suffering to find that ingenuity, that capacity to overcome that 
compassion for ourselves, you know? And sometimes we have to be sort of knocked up beside the head, or at least I did a few times, to, to really realize you're just doing fine. Don't be so hard on yourself. And I think when we gain that inner sense of our own light, we're not so concerned about how anyone sees us. We love the appreciation, but we all, we're not really being puffed up by it, nor are we being destroyed by the criticism because we know who we are. We know, I'm not that. I, I'm just not that. I'm not even going to go there. And, and, and I still must work on that. Or I don't know. There's something about the uh, time alone that really... And looking into the face, I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is that mm. everyday reflection on that day and what we went through in that day, okay, I'm going to slot that tomorrow. I didn't deal with that properly. And with that constant reflection creates a much greater life. Reflection with change. We yeah. must make change. Yes. And the reflection of ourselves. Yes. And sometimes, you know, when you look into the mirror and you say to yourself, I, I do, I don't know about you, but I say, what have you been through in this life? And who knows what you're going to go through, but here you are, you know, still holding on to life, still mm -hmm. holding on to love. And sometimes we need to see that reflection and look into this mirror of, I suppose, unity to remind ourselves of who we really are. That's beautiful, I love that. And we are critical, aren't we? You know, we yeah, are- so, I think the more judgmental we are, the more critical we are inwardly of yeah. ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even I had this strange thought the other day, I was putting some cream on and it was Arnica cream, you know, you know, for, uh -huh. um, for bruising and things like that. And I'd hit my hand and I was putting the cream on. And Elizabeth, I was actually putting it on so roughly. And then I suddenly thought to myself, I became aware of what I was doing because sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's a habit. In, you know, you don't even think sometimes. And I said to myself, Mimi, why are you actually being so rough? Mm -hmm. And I thought, my goodness. And I was ashamed, I have to say. I was ashamed and I actually apologised to myself. And I said, I'm really That's sorry. You did that. That's wonderful. You yeah. And, and it was a shock, Elizabeth, because I... I remember being young and, you know, I was about 13, 14 at school and we were writing English literature and I had the most wonderful teacher, actually, and we would have to write stories and things and we would have to write quotes. And one of the things that, you know, you know, when you're at that age, everything's a drama and it's a opera and, you know, and <laughs> um, I remember saying to her, do you know what? There is no one more cruel than we are to ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's so when, true. 
you know, whether we tolerate cruelty from somebody else, ultimately, that is because we're being cruel to ourselves for tolerating something that disrespects our soul. Yes. But it's a lifelong lesson. I, 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 I did re reach a place. Mm. It took a long time. It took me a long time to get to this place. But I did reach a place where if somebody was being loud or abusive, I just sort of stood there. I, I got time in the doorway with my husband. Um, and I just felt what is their pain? Like I went beyond myself, but I wasn't allowing the abuse. I was just trying to understand what is that pain that this howling is coming from, you know? Hmm. And in myself, when I get, you know, I think I'm going along doing really great. And then one day I'm just freaking out all day. And like, <laughs> you, you still got a long way to go, girl. You know, but as you but, do, yes, yes. Yeah, I understand. Days, I mean, especially if we're intense and we acknowledge our intensity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I do totally get what you're saying. And, and a lot of times people come to me and I know that people really are missing the human touch. Uh, oh, our yes. Mm. showing up for Mother Teresa in India and she goes, go back to America. They're far more lonely and not touching each other there, you know, but there's, uh, there is a truth in that. And so I would encourage people to have a healing energy or massage. But I said to people, why do you go and have these massages where somebody's just you know, pressing into your body and creating pain and all that. Like, let yourself be soothed and loved and see how that is because that brings about so much healing in the body. It gets frightened of, um, you know, I tell people when they've had an operation or something, go to that part of your body and put your hands there and say, I'm very sorry, I had to allow this, but please, I won't do this again. You know, like... The body needs so much reassurance and love and tenderness, just like that horse I'm working with that needs that touch, you know? And we forget it on ourselves. So I love that you brought that up. And touch, I, I totally agree with you. It's so fundamental to the human being, and not just to the human being, to animals, to plants, to other realmly beings it's it's the as you so beautifully put it and i love that word it's the essence of the creation of whatever that creation is it's to experience this touch this unison of energy that can literally transform someone's world well you know i have to share with you one story um, my daughter, when she was 24, she mm -hmm. said uh, she was working in a corporate office and, and it was really bothering her because everyone was just talking about what they were getting all the time. Not that they weren't nice people, but they were just in a different realm of thought. And she said, I want to do something useful. So all three children and myself, it was when AIDS first came out 
and nobody would touch the AIDS patients. They were all like pariah. They were going in with gloves and masks and coats and, you know, everything. And we went to a hospital in uh, not far from where I'm living now, and there was an AIDS ward, and they were just stuck in this little corner. And because people are terrified of what it was, they didn't know whether it was airborne or what it was. And my daughter went in and she said, I'm not putting that on, I'm not doing that. And she took them in her arms and she massaged them and she kneaded their feet. And we brought them home and she would change their diapers. And I mean, she was just incredible. She was like an angel to them. And we sat there for a year every night. And I think going into hospice or working in a hospital, meeting people and seeing them as they are about to call is the most powerful experience for both sides. And um, we did that with 18 different young men who were mostly from the streets of Los Angeles or drug users or male prostitutes. But they were the most beautiful. I learned so much from these young men. And she was the one with this, the flag going in there. And my other two sons came with me. And it was just extraordinary experience. And she said one day, she said, I'm not going to be on the earth very long. And she said one day, I, I've learned how to die by looking at these men. Oh. And this was about 20 two years before she crossed. And I, I'd always known she would leave young um, because I'd been told, but it was really beautiful to see her compassion. It was just so beautiful. And um, she was done, you know, she had finished what she came to learn. Uh, she was a very magical girl. She loved, she taught children all about trees and flowers and fairies and all of that. <laughs> so she would need the earth oh. gate. You know, she loved all that. You would have loved her. So she... Um, what a beautiful soul. Yeah, she was a really beautiful soul. And I just feel the capacity for uh, dealing with the giant is something we've kind of put on a shelf or put people in another room, you know? But it's, it's a very deep experience to go through that. And we should look at death because it will give us um, an understanding of how to really live. I totally agree. It's something that I saw my friend today and he lost his mum and he lost his cousin within a week of each other. And um, I saw him and I said, is everything okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm just busy, 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 busy. And I said, are you sure you're okay? And he sort of looked at me and he was sort of, his face didn't emanate a light. It was, yeah. his whole being was very dark and subdued. And I thought, I have to say something. So I thought, well, he's not going to admit it directly to me. So I said, um, so how are things? And I hadn't seen him for a few months. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm busy. I said, yeah, you said, you've said a few times now. And he said, yes, 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 I'm just busy, busy, busy. And I said, why? I said, what, what do you mean? He said, you know what I'm like, I'm always busy. And I said, well, what are you running away from? 
and that was a, quite a direct thing to say. Um, and he said, well, you know, maybe even if I die today, I really don't mind. Just like that, he said it. And I said, well, don't say that. And I had tears in my eyes. And because I had started to cry, because I really felt him, he began to cry. Mm -hmm. And I then, I stopped and he said, don't cry. He said, I'm not going yet. Which I thought was such a strange thing to say. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just miss people that I love. And we had this moment where the worlds collided in a way and I totally felt what he was going through. It reminded me of things that I had gone through and these Mm -hmm. tears were sort of, I suppose, the release of of this sorrow. And he said, but Mimi, you know, and he's not usually very sort of deep in these things. He said, but you know, we are just a body and ultimately it is the soul that matters. And we've never spoken like this before. He knows that I speak like this, but it's not really him. And he said, and we are a soul that's just passing through this world. Yes. And with the tears in our eyes and him saying that, somehow it brought life to the doorstep in a way to say, actually, you know, here we are. We've been given this privilege for how long, who knows. But what matters is the people that we share these moments with. And it's so rare and yet so desperately needed. That's so beautiful that you were able to, in a way, you kind of gave him permission to release his emotion. Yes. Yeah. You know, I have a young, I have a young man, not young man, he's in his 50s, but he never met anybody and fell in love till he was 38, 40, 40. Mm-hmm. And, and she had never met anyone. She was 10 years younger, 30. And they were together for 10 years. And then she contracted some very rare disease. And he's a very, very erudite individual. He had taught at Harvard and writes for major newspapers. And he's a a very intellectual man, but also a heartfelt man. And Mm -hmm. she died in this one year of this horrible disease. And that was the only time he had ever really loved, you know, like really opened. And so he called me as a medium to talk to her and she came through and she was very mischievous and he knew it was her because she said a lot of things that gave him joy and that gave him a sense of hope because he was about to commit suicide when he called me. Oh, dear. And I worked with him for a year. Once a week, he would call me and we would chat with her. And she was just delightful. And I could see why he loved her so much. She was a very rare type of woman, very no masks, just who she was, you know, and just wonderfully loving. And but what happened throughout this, the reason I'm bringing it up, is that the pain, he literally cried for months and months. 
and he had read C.S. Lewis's book about losing his beloved wife and thought it helped him a bit. But then all of a sudden he realized these tears are coming from eons of suffering and pain that I've never released. You know, like just since I was little, I had this pain in me. I was so traumatized by my childhood. So the chief, in her beautiful way, come in his life, opened him up that he could feel fully in a state of trust, and then just poop popped out the door. And that pain, of course, then gushed out. But the beautiful thing he's now realizing is that he can now go forward more with his life, but that even then the life will be even greater because he knew he's learned how to really love, but he's also learned how to release his pent up pain. And and that was so beautiful. So when you mentioned this man, it sort of reminded me of him. Yes, and Elizabeth, it's the way that there was this air of sadness mm-hmm. and it didn't leave him, I have to say, it remained. And right. But I knew that I just opened sort of a little bit of the tap, you know, mm-hmm. just to let that steam, just to let that pressure, but right. it still remained. And it, it was really sad because I felt his sadness in that moment. Oh. And, you know, when he said, but well, it's okay because I've had a good life, he said, and I don't mind, even if I go now in this moment. And I cried and I'm very sensitive like that. And he said, but don't worry. He said, I'm not going yet. And it was one of those moments, it was a little bit surreal because you think, was he trying to tell me something? Well, I think we can know when we're going. We can know it, but most people don't wish to know that. And as an intuitive, I'm not allowed to ever say that in a reading because that's not my prerogative to tell someone we're leaving. But there was only one time I actually told someone, and that was a, it was a very famous healer from Brazil called Lina. She would come up to Los Angeles periodically and teach healing. And she'd fly back to Brazil. There would be thousands of people waiting for her plane because her healing powers were so magnificent. She was such a humble lady. And she'd been doing this for years and years and years. And I had been brought out to meet her. And uh, my friend said to me, she wants to meet you. She has a very important question to ask you. And by this time, she was in her 80s. And... She lived in a very humble little place. She never wanted any kind of payment or she wasn't ostentatious in any way. She was just a true, just a conduit for God's energy, you know. Mm. And so I went out to this little house and in the back room she was sitting. And she said, I want you to tell me when I'm going to die. And I was told always very strongly, never do that. So they said, this one time you can tell her. So I told her February 12th, whatever the year was. Mm. And she took a little piece of paper out of the drawer and she was deep into it. And it was that date written on it. And she said, 
the only reason I wanted you to tell me, because she goes, I have no fear of crossing. I wanted to know how to get, how soon I had to get my house in order and if I was right. But that's the only, one and only time that I've ever said that to somebody. But that, she was a very powerful soul and there was no, it was a different experience with her. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it, we don't know, we really don't know the length of time that we spend with people. And, but I always believe that everyone we meet, we have an appointed time with them and an appointed number of breaths that we spend with them. And mm. we cannot go beyond that. You know, we can't go beyond, I truly believe this, in being with somebody when it's the end of our time with that person, the end of the chapter with that person. Because I think we both feel it in some way. That's so true. That's why I, I think, think about that. I totally think that's true. I, I, that resonates deeply with me. And we even know it ourselves in a relationship. Sometimes we may go back to a relationship, but it's never the same. Now, it could be better. We could have both changed and bring more to the relationship. But sometimes it's just we know that that was our time. Like you say, that's a wonderful thing you just said. I have to remember that. <laughs> I've got so many things to remember, Elizabeth, that you've said that have really <laughs> opened up. Really, honestly, yeah. truly, that have, as you're talking, it's not just the words that you're saying, it's, the energy behind it that um it's like when you're telling a story and as you speak then sort of horizons open beyond horizons because you have that gift and it's such a beautiful gift so uh i'm really grateful for that because it's made me think about this in fact about this appointed time with one another and sometimes mm -hmm. we suffer because whether it be friends or family or partners or whoever it may be. And we think, well, we miss that person and we miss that time. But some way deep within us, we know that it couldn't have carried on the way that it carried on. We had our time when I think of friendships and one particular friendship that I had for many years since childhood. And it was good and it was wonderful. And there were tormentous times as well and when it came to the end of the friendship something inside just closed it's like the door on that world closed that's beautiful that is so oh I can feel that so deeply I, I totally feel that <laughs> and, yeah. and yet on the other hand and this isn't living in the past. It's a way of creating joy out of loss. This morning I woke up and I was remembering with my daughter because we worked together with abused horses. Mm -hmm. I was remembering in Canada, the leaves changing. We rode in the foothills of the Rockies and we'd get these horses and I could just smell the bran mashes and everything. And then we, we saddled them up, we took them out 
in the hills, and sometimes we would hold hands and ride together. It's because uh-huh. we loved each other so dearly, and it was a sweetness to our friendship and a fiery Scorpio thing too, because we were both Scorpios. But it, it was, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I just revisited this whole ride, all in this wild country. And how lucky I was, you know, how lucky to have a memory like that. And that has been a joyful thing. So I prefer now to go into my past and pull out those. Or if there's something I didn't look at, because our relationships, even with people that have crossed over, they're constantly evolving. As we grow, we look and say, that's why my mother did that, or that's why my brother did that. But we weren't evolved enough in our wisdom to understand it. So it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Our, our relationships with everybody on the other side is constantly in a state. It's not in a state of homeostasis. It's moving. That's interesting because... I was talking to somebody actually the other day and it was such a, it it was a simple thing about how her grandmother had left her father an inheritance and how her grandfather had not left anything, but she didn't get on with the grandmother and she had a very, very tough life with the grandmother while the grandmother was alive. And she said to me the other day, but do you know what, Mimi? she actually did the right thing. She left the inheritance. It wasn't a lot. It was a farm, in fact. Yeah. But she said she did the right thing. And actually, she knew how to do the right thing. But because of her circumstance in life and the way that life, she she was an orphan um, within a week of um, being born, she somehow inflicted that pain on others, including my friend. Mm-hmm. But my friend suddenly had this realization that actually, so that's why what, what you just said is struck a chord in that she realized, in fact, that her grandmother wasn't all bad. She actually had left this farm and she had done the right thing and it wasn't a case of money or anything like that, but she had integrity at the very end to do what was right and to try to encourage uh, four of her grandchildren to have a legacy of some sort, to try to, in a way, I suppose, to make up for all those years of sadness and unhappiness. So this evolving with people that have passed onto the other side is a really interesting subject. It's really interesting. And I do so many readings with the other side, especially now that we've had COVID and uh, so much cancer and things like that. There are so many that have lost somebody and the capacity to connect with the other realms, it gives people such solace. I know I gave a reading last week and a woman had crossed and she had completely denied her family one cent of what she had, given it all to a friend and they were all in an uproar. And 
I had no idea what was going to happen in the reading because they wanted to talk to her. And that's kind of a sticky one. And mm. she, came, she came forth from the other side and said, you know, this was my friend for 40 years. She was like my mate in a way. But she said, I did do the wrong thing. And that was interesting. Um, I wasn't expecting that from her because I had met her in life and she was not a flexible soul. So I guess she had had time to reflect and see mm. suffering it had caused to some of the little children that were struggling and all that. But that was interesting. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes, as you say, it's the right exactly as it is. But it gave these it gave them comfort to at least know her intentions were they she loved them, you know, because because people associate being cut out of a will as not being cared about at all. Mm. So this created some peace in a strange way. What it I have never ever contemplated this, Elizabeth, until you have brought it up in that it the relationship moves in some way because ultimately it's a relationship of spirit and soul. Exactly, exactly. And this is checking in and yeah. You know, like they'll say, oh, that birthday party last week, thank you for leaving me a chair or something. They'll do something. But the people go, oh, my gosh, they were there, you know. And, and but, but the relationship, the conversation is even different because say, for example, somebody of great um, prominence here crosses, well, then they have a chance to look at the perspective of many lives and of what they came to learn. And they could have had a life that they're very regretful of. Um, and someone else that, like that flower that people didn't see blooming in the desert, was li really lived a, a wonderful life. And everywhere they went, they touched people's hearts or did little kind things or, you know, gave a sandwich to the fellow in the corner or whatever they did with the little that they had. And, and, and so then we start to realize, we start to look at things through such a different lens. It's not wanting from people so much as realizing that there's only one bank book and that's our spiritual bank book. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, and I like what Neil Donald, Donald Walsh said in Conversations with God. He said, it's not about me, it's me going everywhere in the world and, and emanating something of goodness wherever I am, even if I'm alone, emanating it, it to the trees, to the flowers, you know. It's true, it's not about us, it's about the understanding of how connected we all are. What a beautiful thing that to be able to emanate that love so that wherever you are, in whatever place and whoever you're with, that there is that power that emanates from all of us that can actually change our surrounding and can change the people's energy around us in a positive way. Because we can sometimes focus on all the bad things that are going on in the world mm -hmm. a little bit too much. And therefore we get carried away with that wave that... Mm -hmm. which is easy, you know, to do. 
But if especially we, now, it's been very hard. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, if the power of bad out there, which it is, we have to be real with this, is so great. I think the power of good is double that, because light will always overcome darkness. Yes. Well, I look at it that there really is only one power. Mm. Uh, but that in a human form, we're in a, we wanted to come in to experience polarity. So mm. black, white, you know, good, bad, blah, you know, everything has got a measure. But the, the beyond that, the force or the divine essence or chi or whatever you want to call it, it's just one thing. It's just love. Yes. And so uh, my personal experience of life is that we come to grow in our capacity to show mercy and love and to grow in wisdom, that those two are kind of married together. And so I don't, I try not, like even in healing, I don't focus on the cancer in somebody's breast or or the diabetes they have or whatever. I just focus that they're in perfect light and that's all I see. Because the world of polarity has shown me what the negative effects of, of the have happened through the body, but I just see the light and then I let go of what the result will be because that's not in my hands and I'm not the healer, I'm just the conduit, you know. Mm-hmm. So the bad and the good in comparison are still polarity if you think about it. Yes. Because beyond yeah. that, there's just love. Yes, and I think the darkness is the absence of love. What we think is the absence of love, but yes. ultimately there can be no absence of love because everything is love. Beautiful, yeah. And the yeah. darkness is a foil for the light. Like we couldn't see, if everything was light, we couldn't see the tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The, it's all one. And yeah, so everything is one. Like we, we, we were, you know, if we think of that Rumi's idea of the drop in the ocean or the wave. Yeah. Everything is part of that ocean. Like, the good and bad, the, the pollution in the ocean is part of the ocean as much as the, the light hitting the sea foam, you know? It's like, it's all the ocean. Yes, it is. It is all the ocean. And I, I, I love Rumi and um, I think he's phenomenal, really, I do. And he's a personal favourite. And also in the sense that if we think about... of our physical being is water. Mm -hmm. We are literally drops manifesting from this divine ocean of love. Beautiful. And that's what's so beautiful. And I want to just ask you um, before we have to go is Mm -hmm. about this eclipse because this is sort of relevant to everything. And I know it's important, you said. So just tell us a little bit, please, Elizabeth, about this eclipse and 
really, how can you explain universes in a sentence, but how it is going to affect us and how these planetary symphonies and movements that are happening right now are really affecting the whole of the world. Well, the interesting thing in this eclipse is that we have the sun and the moon are in the exact same degree and minute of their sign when you have a solar eclipse. So the sun and moon are on top of each other. Uh, the sun was at 12 degrees, 20 minutes. Uh, and the moon was at 12 degrees, 20 minutes. Now the United States astrology chart and in Sagittarius, the United States astrology chart is 12 degrees, 21 minutes. So one minute off. They have never seen that in the history of the United States. Um, so this, the reason I'm bringing up the United States is because this is affecting the, how the United States has an opportunity after all this these shenanigans over the last five years or even 240 years, <laughs> uh, yes. it has an opportunity to take a sharp turn in the road toward divine expression. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that's going to happen overnight, but eclipses are very powerful. We just ended the whole Gemini Sagittarian axis of eclipses and we're going to now enter Scorpio it's going to be very powerful and Are that is so, that is something that you that is part of your work isn't it yes it is I, I, I do what you would call evolutionary astrology which is looking at a chart and not only I'm not looking at it so much predictively as energetically and spiritually what you came here to face, what you came here with your greatest gifts and how to manifest those. And when the stars in the heavens move, they, they are imprinting an energy. And people think, well, it's so far away, it's not affecting us, but then everything is affecting us, you know, and at a certain degree. And there is that imprint at birth and then the planets start moving throughout our life. For example, in my chart, uh, Pluto is the ruler of Scorpio. And every time Pluto hit a major planet in my chart, somebody died every single time. And it, it rules life and death. Now, I didn't study astrology till I was 50. And then I studied it for about five years, six hours a day. I just plunged into it. I thought it was hocus pocus before that. <laughs> and and then I wrote a column for 17 years for a well-known arts and entertainment magazine. And I tried to inject into the entertainment world a spiritual perspective on astrology. And that was very interesting. I met a lot of interesting people and all of that. But to cut a long story short, this eclipse affecting the United States the United States next February is going to have Pluto return, which only happens every 240 years. We have been going through the huge unearthing, lifting the rock and seeing what's underneath. 
for the last few years with Pluto hitting so much of the United States chart. And now it's, it's going to be, we're either going to, you know, like Pluto can rise from the ashes of its own self-immolation or, 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 or it'll go into turmoil and chaos. But I've, I am optimistic and I feel we've turned a corner today. As slight as the um, expression may be, and of course, not making the United States something better than anybody else, but they do have a lot of power in the world, so that will affect all the other countries, just as the other countries' actions affect us. So, yeah. it's a powerful thing for the United States today, and individually, it's a powerful day to write out our own spiritual aspirations because. Sagittarius rules the higher mind, spirit, um, going into the realms of philosophy and teaching and broadening who you are. So this is a great day, really great day. And it's so poignant because here we are on this podcast today, Elizabeth, and uh-huh. we're having, I'm having the most wonderful time, I have to say, learning a lot from you, really, really and you will have left me with a lot of things to ponder. That's mutual. <laughs> really. It's always, um, it's always mutual. Don't you find it is in life? Yeah. It's true. It's true. And when you meet people that are kindred spirits, so to speak, yes. everything flows effortlessly. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Everything's so easy and it's everything is understood and everything that you've said, I understand on some level because it sort of resonates and it's like hearing a music that is familiar. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's a lovely way to, to say it. And I, I thank you for your, you're such a generous soul. So. Oh, thank you so much, Elizabeth. And tell me, for the listeners out there, as we end this beautiful talk, it's just the beginning on so many other levels, I feel, is something for people out there to think about and to give them hope, sort of in a couple of sentences that they can in a way hold on to and use it as their sort of guide through life. I guess I guess it really focus my own existence on is growing in my capacity to feel mercy for all of life, for all the creatures, for each other, mercy for ourselves, mercy for the oceans and the the trees and the gardens and and just everything. To to develop more of a, you know, like uh, Shakespeare said, the quality of mercy is not strained. It blesses those that give and those that receive. So giving mercy is, is a most beautiful way to live. And it's why I called my website Angelic Mercy. Because I felt that it is an angelic trait. And yes. we all have it within us. We all can be that. What a beautiful thing. Angelic mercy. That is something astoundingly beautiful that you can feel it even in the words because they 
You can. Can't, and it's, can't you? You can feel this. Yeah. I don't know, this eminence of spirit that sort of touches everything as you say it. There is this vibrancy about it. There is. And I think, I think again, just to emphasize that idea of um, helping when people are getting ready to cross because by re realizing our own mortality and the limited, we have a certain limited amount of time and energy here, and that's it. And so we become much more conscious how we use that time. It's our, you know, yes, and it's true. And everything that's happening in the world right now is actually turning everything on its head and is actually yes. saying, is this how you really want to live your life? beautiful is this what you want to be doing now and is this one what legacy what do you want to do what is actually what is your mission here on earth yeah you, you know what the wise sages and the saints say that god doesn't change the condition of a people until they change themselves beautiful and it I truly believe it. It is all about that, really. Mm. And also cutting ourselves some slack because what we didn't know 20 years ago that we know now, we mustn't go back and judge ourselves that we really messed up. We just should look at it and say, okay, I forgive you now. I'm not going to do that again, you know, and, and be kind to yourself. Be kind. Um, it's, yeah. it's so simple, really. It be kind and also I think you know humor helps as well. And oh yeah. <laughs> it goes a long way when you say, I can't yeah. believe I did that. But you know, <laughs> oh well, you know, you live and learn. Hopefully <laughs> we live and learn. Oh my goodness. You know, we learn and we we go on and sometimes we don't learn and sometimes life slaps us around in the face a few times and then we have to learn. Um, but it's been an honor, really. And I am so grateful for you and your presence tonight. And I want to ask you also, Elizabeth, is if people want to contact you and um, have a reading or be given advice or <laughs> healing, how do they, where do they go? How do they do that? They can write me at my email, which is angelicmercy44 at gmail.com okay and your website is angelicmercy.com dot com okay and yeah. you are happy for people to contact you oh yes always always to help yeah okay wonderful <laughs> and I, I forgot to i mean people probably would have guessed but i forgot to say that elizabeth is all the way in the united states Yes, and I'm in Los Angeles. You're in Los Angeles, are you? I am right now, but I am longing to get back into the nature again. I really miss it. I have a garden here, but I would love to live out more in the wilds like I used to. So I might do that in the next year or two. <laughs> a little prayer I, um, yeah. always helps. I'll do a little prayer for you, and I hope that God takes you there to where your heart feels the most joyful and in peace. 
Thank you so much. And thank you for your graciousness and your big warm heart, which I can feel all the way over here. (laughs) Ditto, ditto. Well, I wish you a wonderful day. And please do come back again anytime. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, take care. Thank you, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Elizabeth DeVry, what a fantastic soul. Thank you so much for joining me tonight and for always being there and for sharing these absolutely spectacular guests and their lives. Until next time, look after yourself and lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovic.co.uk.